Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. This is going to be a fantastic episode, and I'm going to introduce my guest in just a moment, but I want to encourage everybody to uh, like this podcast, uh, comment, uh, tell somebody about it, uh, write a comment, a, a review, and uh, just get the word out there, Santa Barbara Talks on YouTube, and also visit SantaBarbaraTalks.com if you want to support what I do, uh, podcasting, journalism, the only place you can sort of find this sort of format where we talk to all the important movers and shakers and people doing really interesting things in Santa Barbara. So uh, hit like and uh, subscribe on YouTube. But now let's dive right in. It's such a pleasure today to be here with Janelle Osborne, the mayor of Lompoc, who has really shaken up the third district Santa Barbara County supervisors race. She's decided she's going to run, and we're going to talk all about this, her issues, her platform, what she wants to tell voters, and learn about who she is. And so I'm really excited about this conversation. Welcome, Janelle Osborne. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Josh, for this opportunity to introduce myself to maybe some individuals who don't know me, but um I, you're right. My middle name uh, should be Troublemaker with a capital T, but I, I'm known <laughs> to shake things up, uh, especially locally. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm, I've been a reporter for 21 years now uh, on the South Coast. Uh, you know, I've covered a variety of political issues, and I really know the South County really well. Okay, and so you know, Lompoc, of course, and I grew up in Galita, so I'm familiar with Lompoc, Santa Maria, and I've been there, you know, a million times and all that. But politically, you know, this is going to be a really interesting experience for me, just sort of talking to you and learning about some of those issues. Okay, so let's dive right in to why are you running? Uh, it's it's takes so much nerve, so much guts, uh, desire. You know, you got to put yourself out there in a whole new level. Uh, talk to me. Why are you running for a third, third district supervisor? Well, part of it you've already mentioned. You you grew up in Galita, you live in Galita, and you know nothing about Mid County. And I feel that is part of um, the new district that has been drawn for third district. Lompoc's now the largest community in that. It is the third largest community in the county. And yet there is a lot that is uh, mistaken about the community. There is a lot that's mistaken about third district. And I think that the conversation needed to change. And so part of my reason for running is to shake up that conversation, to change the discussion, really focus on what an impact that uh, Lompoc and the third district has on both North and South County, um, things that might not be heard about us and maybe start working on solving some of those issues. I see um, Lompoc as uh, often being part of the other community's solution and yet not at the table as part of the discussion. And that happens across the, the third district. And so for me, you're right. It was um, really difficult to decide to run. Uh, things are improving in Lompoc. It's taken um, eight years of elected, four years of volunteering on the Economic Development Committee to start to move the needle and improve the community and gain the resources we needed to make some of the big changes we needed to see. It took a pandemic and some additional tax uh, revenues established, but we're getting there. And so it is risky. Uh, for me to choose not to run for mayor if I make it through to the general. And so um, I thought long and hard, and that's why I came into the race late, is I, I, you know, I just, I wanted to make sure that the risk was worth it. And so there is a lot of risk of what I might leave behind and and maybe some of the individuals that damaged our community have a chance to get reelected. And, and that's kind of scary, but I think the conversation more broadly needs to change about our community and the third district in the county as a whole. Right. And let me let me jump right into what I do know about Lompoc or in terms of what I perceive about Lompoc. And I have family members who live in Lompoc. And I mentioned that in the context of, uh, you know, uncles, you know, and, and aunts and cousins. And, you know, we all grew up in Goleta, but over time mm -hmm. they found housing otherwhere, other places, in Lompoc, in Santa Maria. Mm -hmm. 
And so I do know that what happens is that Lompoc becomes sort of our how the housing community for so many people who work on the South Coast, who work in Glita, who work in Santa Barbara, and they have to commute, right? And so, uh, you know, ideally, it's sort of some public transportation or something, but that's that's not um, as popular as, you know, people driving, right? So people drive to work. And what is that? That is uh, an issue with climate change. That's an issue with commuting. That's an issue with time away from family. There's all these impacts. And there's always work on the highway. So, you know, you're always staying longer than what your GPS time says, you know, it should be. It's always going to be an issue. So we know that Lompoc has is, is become, it's, it's integrated. It's a diverse community. Okay? It's culturally diverse. And it's age diverse. And it's really a, a, an incredible community. Talk to me about what it what it means to you to represent Lompoc and what what are the issues you care about most? What what do the voters care about most there? So when I chose to run for city council, it really was the fact that I love this community. Um, it became my home. I was a transplant from Texas with my husband relocating us here in Goleta for, for a job. And it was, you know, 1999, 2000, when, you know, who'd imagine we'd still be at these astronomical housing prices. But you're right. It, it was a, a gut punch for a Texan to hear that 900 square feet was going to cost half a million dollars when I could buy, you know, 10 acres and a 3,000 square foot home back in Texas. And so, you know, we sort of resigned ourselves to being renters for a while. And much like the story you you mentioned, we discovered Lompoc in that path towards having a home and having the ability to lock down our cost of living and have uh, a chance to do more than just pay rent or pay a mortgage. And so we ended up in Lompoc for that reason. But as I began to actually live here and um, stop commuting, uh, start my own business, be present in it, there was a stagnation. And I started asking the questions around that and started talking to current council members, long-term residents, really getting an understanding of the boom and bust cycle and the bust that we were still sitting in, even though it was nearly at the time, you know, 20 years before now, almost 30 years past. And, and the fact that we are a community that is really, really diverse for being so rural, for being um, so far off the 101. Um, we're really compact for being a population of 44,444 as of the 2020 census. Oh. And you know, we're really diverse with an air base and a federal prison, and now it's the Space Force base. Um, but a lot of our employment is that blue-collar worker, right? If you live and work in town, it's the base, it's the prison, it's the school district, it's the hospital, it's the um, city. We're a full-service city, so we have every department except natural gas. And um, it's the Chumash. So a lot of our uh, city uh, residents work for the casino and the hotel. There's a lot of commuters that work in tech down in Santa Barbara and Goleta that travel north to Santa Maria and um, San Luis Obispo. And then also a huge number of residents are in the agricultural and service industry. So, you know, we are really an interesting community. But that problem of nearly 13,000 people commuting out of your community and not being present during the day to attend their kids' events at school, help with after-school tutoring and support, serve in more than just, you know, maybe being a coach for the basketball team or um, part of their church. Their, 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 their time is so limited that they aren't spending it in civic. They aren't spending it on city council, on city committees, on county uh, committees, they aren't finding the additional time because of losing that additional time for commuting. And if you're driving a car, you can get it down to 45 minutes to an hour. If you're doing clean air bus, you know, you're impacted by where you get on and where you get off. And it can be an hour, hour and a half, depending on traffic. And so all of that loss is a loss to the community as a whole. Then there's the shopping. You fill your tank up, you shop, when you're in those communities where you're working throughout the day, you commute home, you come right to your driveway, you get out of the car, you go in the house, you're not doing a lot of shopping here. So we're missing out on that tax revenue. So for me, getting involved was really about changing the discussion 
finding out how we can recruit additional companies, expand companies here, looking at who commute, commutes where, and if those companies are expanding, maybe have a satellite office here. And those were all great ideas. And we started working on that. And then what crept into that was, guess what? As much as you think you're moving here for the housing, we are now zeroed out. Like we have so little housing available that our prices are climbing to the point that locals can't even afford it. Mm -hmm. And so we're no longer really the community you go to to stay in Santa Barbara County and afford housing um, because the housing market has got shrunk so much. It hasn't expanded. It hasn't had additional building. And we, during the pandemic, saw nearly 11% of our housing market sold at half a million dollars cash for homes that were nearly 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And so now you have um, the base expanding with commercial launches, Star Command, and you lose Star Command uh, attached to Vandenberg because number one thing under Secretary of the Air Force said is lack of housing, literally lack of housing. And even though our arena numbers increased and our current housing element says we can meet our current arena numbers with what we have on the books, there's no guarantee, A, that those will be built, and B, it's not planning for that additional expansion. I was speaking with um, an employee of SpaceX who is responsible and knows um, that the growth they're experiencing, and you know they're having trouble finding housing. And so they're ending up buying houses in uh, Orcutt or Santa Maria or even Goleta and commuting. And so you're creating this reverse commute now where they're just passing through town and going to South Base. And over the next three to five years, as they take over um, and expand Slick 6, which is the launch pad that the shuttle was supposed to go out of, they have now taken ownership of that and are revamping it. They're going to see a stand-up of additionally, potentially 300 people. And I'd love to see those 300 highly educated, well-paid jobs be in my community not be commuters through my community because it would change our schools. It would change our property tax revenue that helps both the schools and us. So there's opportunities we're missing out on. And, 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 and it was one of those things that, you know, Hey, I got it. I got into Lompoc because of reasonable housing and that's disappearing. So those long commutes, the lack of job growth, not enough workforce housing, and then factor all this in how many families we have is, Expensive or no childcare. And that really hits home and causes a lot of, especially women, to decide to stay at home because their entire paycheck's going towards childcare or they can't find childcare or they're commuting. And where's your childcare? Are you driving all the way to Galita and Santa Barbara and putting your child in childcare there? Because if something happens, they're 10, 20 minutes away. Or it's less expensive in Lompoc for childcare, so you leave your child behind yeah. and don't have family. So there's a lot of things in play of being a commuter uh, community that I'd like to change, and we've begun to make the change, but I've seen a lot of the issues are at the county level and need to be worked on from that. Yeah, I mean, childcare is such an outrageous and, uh, uh, you know, shameful way that we treat our children and our families in this country because i mean just expected to find a way to for them to be from zero to three or whenever four they go to pre you know school and it's tough and it's expensive and you have to sometimes you know you have to really research it and everybody has that much time it's a budget that sort of thing you know i've got three weeks right now where my daughter you know she's in fourth grade they're doing three weeks of vacation right now instead of two over the winter break. And I'm fortunate. I've always made time to be able to, available to my kids and work from home if necessary. But it's such a privilege. Not not everyone can do that. So that's an important issue. So um, I like that you're thinking about that, you know. And um, I want I wanted to ask you about uh, Lompoc and, and housing and homelessness. Now, I guess you mentioned that your Lompoc's not having the same housing element issues that some other communities are because you already have the land or maybe you can go over that. Uh, but we know from Santa Barbara County, you know, they missed their deadline. And yes, Lisa Plowman, if you're watching, I know so did more than a hundred other communities, but 
they missed their deadline. And it was, you know, they had a zone, all the, they want to zone this ag, rezone ag land, and that's controversial. And a lot of communities struggling to meet the new mandate of the state with their housing element. Where's Lompoc on its housing element? And then can you talk about homelessness and Section 8 vouchers and how all of that ties together? Absolutely. So we also missed our deadline, like most communities, but we just submitted. Um, it was a paperwork exercise, uh, most as most communities are showing you. Unfortunately, we don't have um, green space, as they say. We don't have a lot of ag land that we are able to redesignate or build on. We were denied an annexation proposal at the beginning of this year by LAFCO that would have provided that opportunity. I've heard since then that they did file builder's remedy um, with the county uh, on that property. But internally, as I mentioned, we we are a very compact community. Now, on paper, we're 11 square miles because the federal prison is consider is inside our city limits. But there is a point um, on the edge of town where um, there's open field between us and the prison. So when you look at the city proper, most of the residents and the businesses are in about six square miles. So most of that 44,444 people are living in a very compact six square miles. The other part about our community is um, given we haven't annexed um, in quite a while and the some of the poor properties that were annexed are in the plans to be built out and have had approval for over 20 years, they still haven't been built. Now, there are entities that have decided to either purchase those developments or move forward on their developments. And so in the next three to five years, we should see about a thousand homes um, be built and that will help with those arena numbers and that demand. But we also see growth happening out at the base and other areas, and we don't have much available infill. And that's part of what the county and LAFCO and the state are encouraging is infill. But in Lompoc, the type of properties that are available for infill are have either huge remediation issues because of what was on them before and the age of the property. So they're either an older industrial area that could be mixed use, um, or they're a bunch of smaller lots that need to be bought and pulled together. And because there's such a lack of available land, many of the local ownership have priced them rather high that don't pencil out. So you have a, a difficult market where you're being told by the state, you have all these new things that um, you need to do. Here's all the new rules that say you um, can't prohibit uh, certain types of housing. So when looking at the demand from the state, it said if there was um, availability to build housing and there was a bus transit system within a half mile, you couldn't put a parking mandate in place, say for additional housing or for ADUs and that sort of thing. And because of the compactness of our city, we pretty much don't have any uh, parking rules on those additions because of that rule, because of the compactness of our community. Um, there is the overlay that we did on our community in several areas that we converted to mixed use that had traditionally been solely commercial or solely retail or solely industrial that we went through as part of the mandate to show there was the ability to build. So we did many overlays that allowed for mixed use. This didn't take into the consideration that many of these locations and lots and buildings or areas might never want to build housing. Um, and then the cycle of two RENA cycles from now because we've had that overlay, it'll be built by right. So even if the current owners don't want to build on it, if someone comes and buys the property from them and decides to in two arena cycles, so 16 years, they could build by right. And, and there are very few things we could do as a city other than just make sure they're meeting building and construction standards and health permits and just at that level, but they could build what they'd like as mixed use or housing in those areas. So there's a lot of restrictions coming down from the state. There's a lot of um, play within the county about, you know, who gets to build on ag land and who doesn't based on some of these regulations and these mandates. 
which communities are feeling that impact. You look at Goleta and I feel really bad for Goleta because most of the county has dropped its mandates around the ag land of Goleta. And yet Goleta has been growing and building so much over the past 20 years that it seems like an additional burden right outside the city limits to add more and 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 create the struggle I know my community has with many unincorporated communities just outside our city limits that we both affect with our decisions and sometimes through mutual aid need to support, whether it's fire, public safety, but the advantage that you know we've had from the county of supporting us when we were down law enforcement officers. So housing has become even more complex than it already was with the state mandates. We did approve our housing element. We did send it off to the state. We have not had any builders remedies filed with us. And I'm grateful for that because as you mentioned, we have over 30% uh, low-income and Section 8 housing in our community compared to Santa Barbara and Santa Maria that are in single digits. And their populations are two and three times ours. So the city of Lompoc has been carrying the county's low-income housing for way too long. And this affects our general fund budget because that's 30% of that property tax not coming into our schools or not coming into, let's say, our public safety budget, because 70% of our general fund goes towards public safety. And yet, unfortunately, many in that community, it's the highest demand. Um, when they have a health issue, police and fire get called. When they have um, issues within their neighborhoods, you know, our police respond. And so unfortunately, um, we're carrying a burden for the entire community. And that also affects our homelessness. So when you receive that Section 8 voucher, as you're trying to transition out of the emergency shelters or your car, and you receive that voucher, often those vouchers are utilized here because of our rent having historically been lower than the rest of the community. So you see not only um, a growth in building of Section 8 housing by county public uh, housing or the um, private sector transitioning to utilizing those house housing vouchers for guaranteed um, rental income. Um, it's grown. And then you're receiving that and you're getting your public health issues, maybe your mental health issues solved, and suddenly you feel fine and you think everything's great and you start making missteps and you fall out of that public housing. So you become hom homeless again, but you don't become homeless in Santa Barbara or Santa Maria or Buellton. You become homeless in Lompoc. And often when you become homeless again in our community, you go into our riverbed. And because it's so close, it's easy to hide in. And as a result, when we do our um, point in time count, you see a very high point in time count for our community based on our population, again, compared to Santa Barbara and Santa Maria. And so it's a it's a cycle that um, began before the pandemic, but unfortunately the pandemic has made worse and then recent inflation has has made it difficult. And so it's it's a it's a train wreck. That has occurred as a result of our housing being reasonably uh, priced and rental um, prices being lower. And it's also caused an effect out at the base. We've had a lot of our enlisted individuals normally would rent homes in our community, but those homes rents have climbed at a level that um, meets the voucher for Santa Barbara County for Section 8, but doesn't match the military's stipend and the California bump they get to be able to compete with that. And so many of the military are choosing not to transfer to Vandenberg because it's difficult finding housing within their budget. And as a result, the Vandenberg's having trouble, not just with hiring civilians, but hiring and transferring in military individuals to do the military jobs they need out there. So you see this a uh, complex whirlwind of things happening related to housing and then, you know, having the amount of homeless that end up housed here, as well as the largest family shelter just outside our city limits. And it's an emergency shelter. Mm -hmm. They don't have wraparound services on site. So if you end up at the Bridge House facility, you know, you have to be gone 
by um, early morning and you can't come back till evening. You have to be sober and test negative to enter. Um, your pet can't come in with you. You are in congregate space. And so maybe you don't do well with whatever issues you're dealing with in congregate space. When you are told the next morning to depart until the evening meal, you now have to traverse across a very dangerous bridge. You have to make your way all the way across town to mental health or public health um, support, whether it's the county on our street or CHC on the other end of ocean. You Maybe you want to uh, get workforce training and get a job. That's across town on North H. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong um, in getting to those areas. We do provide and support um, a bus that goes out there in the morning and the afternoon, but it's not a regular route So because they're not there during the day. And so as a result, a lot of individuals traverse through the riverbed and come up through the neighborhoods along that. And those still choosing to live in the riverbed aren't necessarily um, helpful in keeping you on the straight and narrow if you're trying to be. There are um, those that are service resistant living in the riverbed. There are those that just can't handle congregate um, services um, that are choosing to live in the riverbed. And then there are unfortunately some criminal elements that are hiding within the homeless population and preying, frankly, on that population in in ways that are um, dangerous and, and difficult and sad. Um, and we work really hard to address that, but the riverbed is um, joint jurisdiction between the city and the county and the sheriffs and our police department and public health and 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 providing all the services that need to go into that. So these these are very very complex issues um, that have moving pieces that don't just um, come to us out of our local um, choices, but are decided at the county level, the state, and the federal level, and and where the funding is coming for from and how the funding is applied and utilized. And so. For me, I really think Bridge House needs to have wraparound services on site. Um, they do have issues with their utilities and how they can expand and grow there. Um, I have worked with and suggested, and they are going through the process with my city, that they could connect as a full-service city. They could connect to our water, our sewer, even our electrical to expand rather than to replace the sewer and uh, septic tanks out there. Um, unfortunately, the septic tanks failed, so they're having to spend the money on repairing that in order just to keep the emergency shelter going. Um, it is great that they finally built a workforce development ag program out there. It is disappointing to see that the cooking half of that, there's a twofold, learn how to grow the food and also learn how to cook the food and potentially get a job in the restaurant industry that's desperately needing assistance. Those cooking programs, though, are being done in Santa Barbara and Santa Maria, not on site, because again, the facility really doesn't have the capacity to expand because the buildings aren't there. So we could get into, you know, all the services and all the different nonprofits well, and all the contracts from the county and how they're being applied locally, but we could talk all day on this topic. And so I, I know you probably have more questions, but we can circle back to it when if, well, if yeah, no, um, well, definitely. And I think we're going to be doing a lot of talking between now and March and maybe maybe afterward, you know, depending on how it goes. I have a family member who is in the bridge uh, program. And so I have some insight to, to that world and um, that sort of situation and the challenges and, you know, the good they do, the challenges of the program. So um, it's definitely a, a significant thing. And it sounds like, you know, if you're a, the third district supervisor, Lompoc and these mid-county issues are going to get a lot more attention and a lot more consideration uh, outside of election years, right? So we all know everybody cares about everything all the time during election years. And that's no slight at Joan Hartman, okay? That's just true of all politicians that mm -hmm. that when it's time to run, they get a little busier, okay? And that's the cycle. Um, so uh, can you just sort of maybe just talk a couple minutes on so, you know, your third district supervisor, right? Like, how does that change the representation that we have right now? Well, for me, as a current elected in a city that doesn't have a lot of resources, I um, do a lot of the work myself. So I do a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of analysis. 
I sit and and meet with different individuals at different uh, organizations and different levels. I spend a lot of time in Sacramento and in D.C. where the decisions are being made, because, again, I think I've already said this. It's really important to be at the table and not on the menu. And so going where the decisions are made sometimes changes the ear and how they're listening to you, Um, uh, sometimes getting them here. And working hard to make build that relationship so they actually come to the community and spend time in the community. So that's that's really the difference I bring is I don't believe in only working on solving some issues to get reelected. My goal has always been it takes time. You have to do the work early and often and it has to build. So, again, um, we inherited uh, Joan in January of 2022. I met with her. Um, she asked me, what are the top three issues for the city? And I said, I'm going to give you the top three issues that the county um, affects our community by, right? The top three issues for me aren't the same as the top three issues for the third district representation because of different pools of resources, different policies, different budget directions. And so um, I provided those. I've worked to introduce her to the community. I've worked to educate her on the issues, really share the information. And uh, in the last couple of months, you've begun to see some changes. It's frustrating to see that it, as you said, wait until an election season begins to see the reveals and see some of the delivery and frankly, to see some of the things um, not be as impactful as I'd hoped. They're great feel-good experiences. They're great um, areas of issues we've needed assistance on for a really long time. So I don't want to belittle the contributions. It's more that I need bigger change and broader change that are going to set us up for a long-term health. And that's going to require a change in in the discussion and really someone who um, understands that. And so that's my goal. My goal is to change that conversation, really focus on many of Lompoc's issues are issues not just of Lompoc, There are issues across 3rd District and there are issues across the county because what happens in Lompoc um, affects all of it because of the number of commuters, because of the number of homeless living in our population, because it used to be the workforce housing um, community and it's no longer that. So there's a lot of things happening in my community that while everybody thinks, oh, it just happens in Lompoc and we can kind of turn a blind eye to it. And it's actually burdening you in South County because the additional taxes that have to be spent here to deal with the issues, the additional resources that are needed because we don't generate enough to cover the costs ourselves. So it, it's that kind of approach that I'm looking to change and to be um, less ideological and really issue based. Great. Um, you know, you already have a, a regional presence. Uh, you spent the last year as chair of the Santa Barbara County Association of Governments, and mm-hmm. you've already been making decisions uh, countywide as part of the, you know, the, the Board of Supervisors. You're representing Lompoc and all the cities. And, you know, I've read your quotes in uh, Lauren Bianchi Clement, PIO for SBKAG. Her press releases, you know, so that's kind of how you first came in on my radar as a member of SBCAG. And so can you talk about what work you've done in terms of transportation issues? And I know broadband and, and, and serving communities that are underserved with uh, access to the Internet has been a, a, a focus of SBCAG. Can you talk a little about your, your regional transportation work and your role in SBCAG? Sure. Um, I'm actually going to go further back than that. Um, broadband was one of the issues that first motivated me to to run. Um, I was appointed to the city of Lompoc's Economic Development Committee, and we did a SWOT analysis of our community. And I discovered we had this massive dark fiber line running right through town, and the only two entities plugged into it at the time were the hospital, the community hospital that we have here, and City Hall. Um, eventually, Comcast had come in and 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 created a hub off of it and provided um, cable, but not fiber, to the community. So 
I began to realize that one of the ways you change a community is access to broadband. Mm -hmm. I worked really hard to try and get the then city council to put in a broadband network because we're a full service city and own most of our infrastructure and could easily do it. Unfortunately, it wasn't a tech savvy uh, council and it wasn't one that necessarily wanted to make that kind of investment given they were still paying off the debt from when the council at this point about 30 years ago put in um, a Wi-Fi broad uh, a system that was citywide that wasn't maintained and still had debt. So I started working on it um, and then I joined Econ Alliance, which is a northern Santa Barbara County regional economic and industrial uh, voice for uh, the businesses and, and um industries of Northern Santa Barbara County. And broadband was, again, my focus there. Worked really hard on trying to uh, build up a network and get maybe at a regional level that could then improve the more rural communities and better internet connection because it leads to jobs coming and it leads to improved quality of life, education out of the house, um, which here we come with a pandemic. Um, you know, it had starts and stops and then the pandemic hits. Um, I'm a appointed to the League of California's uh, Transportation, Public Works and Communications Workforce Committee. And one of the topics, as we were entering the pandemic and didn't know it, we made broadband a priority at my um, request and uh, admonition of, you know, it's, it's part of public works and transportation. You really need to focus on this. So then we have a pandemic and we discover, especially in Lompoc, how difficult it is to homeschool, how difficult it is to remote work when all you have is dial up and cable. And so many of our households didn't even have access to um, internet services and were sitting in the parking lots at the schools in order to do their homework or do their online classes. Or you have a house that doesn't have one kid, they have four or five kids trying to access um, their online class while mom or dad's trying to work remotely. And so you really see um, this need. And so we come out of the pandemic and everyone's now really realized that um, internet and broadband are an essential service. And we really need to move towards treating that. And I'm very grateful that SBCAG um, decided to take this up at the request of its commissioners and directors. So we made the request, uh, Joan Hartman and I made the request. They formed a committee. We went through the ad hoc. We took and built off um, what Econ Alliance had already done. And now, mm -hmm. as you said, SBCAG is now designated as this regional office to represent and voice um, the middle missing mile and how do we get fiber into our communities by making sure it's implemented in partnership with Econ Alliance. So that's huge for me. I, I love that, you know, nearly uh, 12 uh, years of work is finally seeing uh, forward progress and that the money is being put out there and that there are those working on the problem. And, and I'm happy to be a part of that leadership. It's very exciting to me. Um, as far as regional transit, as I said, I commuted for a really long time. Uh, one of my prior jobs, I worked for the Girl Scouts Council. At the time, it was three um, counties, so Ventura to San Luis Obispo. And I drove that entire route pretty regularly, going to the Ventura offices to work with the adult um, volunteers there, going all the way to San Luis Obispo to work there, going back and forth to the Santa Barbara main office. So I've spent a lot of time on all of that highway system. I've utilized the bus system. I tried to use the train as a commute system. Works great in the morning. It's horrible coming back because it comes all the way out of San Diego. And once it gets a, you know, a, a traffic issue, you might not be able to get on the train at 7 p.m. Instead, it's 9. So I understand all of that. So being on SBCAG's board at the time, they're getting closer and closer to finishing the 101 expansion that Measure A um, was really designed to um, support and then going to Sacramento and going to the different meetings to advocate and talk about 
the successes we've put in place already, the matching dollars we've created, the matching dollars from the communities along um, that expansion is really exciting. The other part is it's multimodal. I'm a cyclist. I, I like to ride my bike for pleasure. To see those paths between Ventura and Santa Barbara open up safely, to see neighborhoods be able to get to the beach instead of having to worry about crossing a freeway, those are all safety issues as someone who rides my bicycle for pleasure um, is excited to see. And I would love to see that um, eventually get to North County. And that's the other part of the advocacy, right, is we're getting into the point where we are going to end up spending more money than we originally thought we would in order to finish the South 101 project. And yet there are huge needs developing in the North 101 area and are part of that next phase that we need to start aggressively planning for, aggressively identifying the matching funds for, because that traffic is now as bad having been that direction several times on the way to Sacramento each month, if not more. Um, it has become areas where you're sitting as long as you're sitting between um, Carpinteria and Ventura. It's now Santa Maria through Nipomo into Arroyo Grande has become a parking lot. So it is an issue both directions, and it is a regional solution that works well. The other thing I'm really proud of as my time on chair um, with the uh, SBCAG is really creating a meeting style, uh, bringing my meeting style to it. I've been told by several of the members how much they appreciate the balance of staff, um, public comment, and then the discussion amongst the, the directors themselves, making sure that we bounce back and forth between the multiple locations and who's online and really trying to um, resolve discussions in a way that comes forward with solutions. And then finally, you know, just working with a great staff. I have to say SBCAG staff is, is really amazing. And I'm proud to have been part of the team to negotiate and retain um, the executive director. She's she's done fabulous work and manages th the funds and the projects with her staff really, really well. Yeah, that's um, that's cool. That's so much work. And, you know, the media, we tend to cover the cities, we cover the counties, and uh, a lot of times though you know SBCAG and some of these other organizations these other agencies don't get the attention that they should but you know people are doing great work on that board including the staff as well it often doesn't get noticed um, until the very end you know with a big event or something um Janelle let's dive in to kind of what the buzz is with your candidacy okay sure. so uh, when when I heard you were running, I was surprised, okay, because it was looking like a race between Joan Hartman for re-election and then this Republican, Frank Troyce, who uh, was running. And, 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 and so it looks like it's just going to be those two. And then all of a sudden, you know, you file papers to run. And this has really shaken up the politics of the race because... Even though you and I'll let you talk about where you stand politically, but my understanding is that you were friendly with the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party and they saw you as sort of a, um, you know, maybe not an ally, but somebody who was more on their side than on the side of the Republicans. And so um, I was, you know, not bombarded, but I received a lot of feedback from people saying, how can she do this? She didn't tell Joan. She didn't tell the chair of the Democratic Party. And I just kind of want to ask you about your decision to run, because, of course, this is America. We all have our rights to do what we want for the most part. And you, if you want to run, you want to run. But politically, you run. That affects Joan Hartman's reelection. Whether you win or not, maybe it gives an edge to the Republican in the race. Or what they, what I've heard is they got to spend a lot more money now on this race, a lot more time. And so they're all kind of shaken up because it's sort of seen as like, well, how could you do this? Or why would you, why would you at least tell us, give us a heads up, you know, kind of thing. So can you talk to me about your decision to run in the context of the party and Joan Hartman, and, and they've been kind of friendly to you in the past. So can you talk about that, please? Sure. Um, I, I, I didn't realize I needed to ask permission. It was my first gut response because, as you say, um, it is 
a free country. And if I choose to take the risk um, and run, that is that is my choice. And so what I will say is that um, the Democratic Party has been very public in their support of me when I have run, while the Republican Party has been very quiet about their support of me. I couldn't have been elected mayor of a community like Lompoc that uh, is quite purple. We have a huge Democratic uh, voter population. We have a very large Republican voter population. The Republican part of our community is very, very vocal. Our Democratic Party is silent, but works really, really hard. They're they're not as loud or as aggressive. It's just not their style. Um, early on, my literature and everything were in both uh, campaign headquarters. There was a split in the local Republican Party when um, they endorsed Mosby. They decided not to have my literature in their space anymore. So the uh, Democrats were the only ones that understood it was a nonpartisan uh, position and continued to allow my literature to be there. They often, yes, would have my literature available when they were walking neighborhoods and be able to speak to my points if asked about it. So I do appreciate um, their support. Um, it was never a formal endorsement because I'm not registered as a Democrat. I'm also not registered as a Republican. Um, I am no party and have been um, as soon as I could be here in the state, because when I first got here, it, it didn't exist as an option. So um, I came here um, having registered as an independent in Texas and registered shortly for being able to get a ballot to vote in the presidential um, campaign. And then as soon as no party was available before I had any inclination, I might get involved in politics, registered as no party, declined to declare. Um, part of that is how I'm made up. My father was Republican. My mother was a Democrat. I grew up in a household that always talked about things in the way of issues and where um, the direction was going on the issues. The county position is also nonpartisan. And I've watched over the years as party politics have um, influenced way too many of the decisions. And as a result, I thought long and hard about the risk I'd be taking the potential damage it may may do to the work I've done on uh, the council, um, the relationships I've built and how they might damage them. And so, yes, frankly, I, I realize that I have offended many. And yet at the same time, uh, the issues and the discussion needs to change. And if it does nothing other than that, that's great. Hearing that they are frustrated and need to spend more money, that's also disappointing. If if a campaign is all about how much money you spend, um, that's the wrong direction to go. It really should be um, your presence. Are you present in the community? Are you connecting with the voters? Are you listening to the issues? Are you able to not necessarily say, I have the solution, but rather say, I'm listening. And as the issues come up, I will address them in a fair and balanced way, not based on ideology. I don't think ideology um, at any level is healthy. I do realize once you get to the state and the federal level that being a part of a party is how you fundraise, how you build coalitions, how you build compromise, how you work across the table and get things done. But when you're part of a body that is five members, like my council, like the Board of Supervisors, and it's nonpartisan positions. I think the work should be done not from party politics and ideology. I think it really should be done from what are the issues, what are the facts, what are the staff's recommendations, what is the community's desires, and balancing those hard decisions and working towards compromise that aren't influenced by an ideology. And so again, um, uh, I, I wanted to shake it up. I wanted to change the discussion and choosing to run is simply that. And I would hope it's not about spending more money, but about um, listening and being present and really working towards understanding the communities that are represented by the third district, as well as the larger impact the decisions are made across the county. Well said, well articulated. Have you talked to Joan Hartman since you decided to run? Has, as you have you had a conversation with her or an email or text exchange? And 
Can you share what that was like if, if it happened? Sure. Um, in this particular scenario, I didn't feel a text or a phone call was appropriate. My goal was to um, see her in person. There were a few opportunities that we were both at public events. Unfortunately, trying to make that connection um, wasn't happening. Um, I try and be respectful when someone is in a very intense conversation with someone else publicly, not to just stomp in and, and interject. So the first opportunity to interact was right before last week's SBCAG meeting. And she frankly, uh, very aggressively said, a courtesy call would have been nice, but we still have to work together. So we will. And that is the extent of the conversation. And so um, I understand uh, the anger. She did provide an endorsement of my last campaign, but I asked all of the Board of Supervisors for an endorsement, um, trying to show that we as a community um, had allies at the county level because we had an I had an opponent who um, Mosby historically does not build relationships. He's an isolationist. He wants to do everything in a vacuum his way. And I was asking for all of the Board of Supervisors endorsement um, as a way to show that I built the relationships at the county level to try and move us forward. Um, I didn't get all of them. I got four of them. And I understand uh, why Bob didn't um, publicly endorse me, but I have a good relationship with Bob. He was our representative um, for that first full year, worked really close with him on a lot of issues. When he was chief of staff for Peter, um, great relationship there. And so I appreciate that they're frustrated. I um, appreciate that Joan um, is offended because I, I I understand that she feels that our trust was violated. But at the same time, um, I'm not a part of the party. I uh, make these choices based on what I think is the next right step, not only for my community, but the community I'm going to represent. And even though the risk uh, towards my community of potentially not being mayor in and running for mayor in 2024 is huge. I think it's an important um, risk to take in order to change that conversation. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. Um, you know, it's a bit of a privilege, right, to just assume that everyone should fall in line, right? Like, I mean, right. yeah. if you are not, you know, at the, if you don't have a seat at the table, you have to force your seat at the table because if you wait for people to give you a seat at the table, it may never happen. And so just abstractly, people who take risks and do things and want to do better for themselves and their communities, um, they can't always ask for permission. And I get the politics of it that, you know, maybe if you wait, you know, we'll find a spot for you later. And that whole game or is be offered, you know, uh, a position staff. on staff and like all the other, uh, you know, some, not all the other, some of the other individuals were, you know, they were on staff before they ran. And, and that was the next step. So I've been told, you know, that, you know, we, you know, you, you, you could have been this. And then, you know, in four years, if you'd let us know, we'd have stepped aside and and I, I I had to think that. I mean, that's four more years. That's a really long time in Lompoc to wait. We've waited so long through 30, 40 years of stagnation, and we've got this momentum right now. And I want to build on that, and I want to build on the success of my community and translate that to third district. And the changing of those boundaries provides that opportunity. Right. Uh, we got about 10 minutes left, so I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. Sure. You're the mayor of Lompoc. Uh, in Lompoc, you have to run every two years. Yeah. So this decision to run is a significant risk because if it turns out that you and Joan are in the final top two or, you know, Frank Troyce is the other candidate, whoever the top two are, that means you can't run for both seats. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about why are you willing to give up that potential of not running for mayor again? And there must have been some anguish at 2 a.m. just thinking about these things because you're choosing to do one or the other. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. March 5th will determine what the general looks like for me and my community. And you're right. This is why it took me so long to pull papers was 
I don't take this lightly. I work through all the potential impacts that a change this significant would have, both in the negative and the positive. And you're right. I cannot run. If I'm through to the general, I cannot run for mayor. You can't run for or hold two positions, elected positions at the same time. Um, I felt it was worth the risk. I've had discussions with members of my community, some trusted um, advisors about next steps. And I've been serving in Lompoc officially as an elected for eight years, um, 12 years when you consider the time I spent as vice chair and chair of the Economic Development Committee, very active, very in the community. Um, I've spent uh, six years on our Northern California Power Agency, which is our public power um, joint powers agreement. I am the uh, vice chair of that organization and the chair of the legislative and Re regulatory committee. So I spend a lot of time in Sacramento and DC regarding that area, um, implementing clean energy, making transitions towards uh, clean energy, putting policies in place, dealing with rates, dealing with um, all kinds of issues. So you're right, I'm stepping away from a lot of important work um, to take the discussion to the next level. But um, again, waiting four years to see if things changed um, was enough of a motivator for me to set the stage for maybe the next leadership. I don't think we should get to a point in um, our communities where we're comfortable with the same person in leadership for a long period. Um, we don't have term limits, so this is sort of a self-imposed term limit. Um, I think that you want people to be motivated to participate in the local elections, to be motivated to participate in the local politics, to be a part of the discussion, and sometimes a change in leadership um, does that. And so, again, at the local level and at the county level, I want people to be engaged. And national politics have, unfortunately, started to cause people to disengage. And I keep telling people, that's fine if you want to disengage at the federal and the state level. I get it. I don't think you should. But locally is where most of the decisions are made that impact you. Um, you they are accessible a representation. And that's where you absolutely should participate, if not yourself run for office. And so I really want to open that door and work with individuals that are interested in taking on the next cycle of leadership in our community. And I hope they have a similar vision to myself and the current council, um, because we've learned to work together. Um, we have a very diverse council, um, some very diverse personalities. And I think we've shown that you can have that diversity and be successful. And I want to bring that to the next level and engage people um, both at the city level and the county level in a way they may have felt dis disengaged and ignored. Yeah. That's great. You know, a lot of times with my podcast, I spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes on who are, who is, who are you, right? Your background. You know, we've talked so much about the issues we haven't been able to go there, but I just want to a little bit. You mentioned Texas. Uh, you, you and your husband moved from Texas and, mm -hmm. you know, you're this is objective, but like you're a really strong communicator, right? I mean, you you got this stuff down. And um, so I'm interested. What is your background? And, you know, who is Janelle Osborne before she came to came to Lompoc? Can you just talk a little bit about your backstory? Sure. Um, I was born in Texas. I was adopted um, shortly after birth. So I. Um, I was very lucky to have um, a, a great set of parents. Um, never had a desire to find my birth parents, mostly because I had great parents. And yes, they had flaws, but um, all our parents, as we get adults, we, we learn their flaws. I lost both of them within 10 years of each other, both to cancer. Um, so my career had some stops and starts after high school as a result of choosing to go home and care for each of them in, in that process. Uh, when I finally finished my college degree, it took me about 10 years to start and stop. I graduated from Texas Woman's University that's in Denton with a degree in history, summa cum laude. Um, I focused on public administration from the idea that I would likely work for. And I did for a while. I worked for the university and the idea that I'd work in government or 
um, a public administration role, never with the idea that I might um, be an elected and be part of that policy and budgetary decision-making body. Um, we got to um, California as a result of my husband's career and the company that he worked for merging with another Santa Barbara company. And we lived in Goleta for two years. Um, as I mentioned early on, the housing market sort of shocked the system when the realization was it would become permanent. And we began looking around. We looked at Ventura, but that parking lot sit between Ventura to Goleta was not an incentive, having left Austin and, and having lived in traffic there. Um, we were looking for something that felt more at home. And when we visited Lompoc and saw the house for sale, the appealing part was it was Texas price. So that was helpful on the budget. But it really was the community reminded me of home. It's an agricultural rural. It's I'm from the Rio Grande Valley. This was an actual valley. Um, the Rio Grande Valley is actually a delta. Um, so I, I understood the community. I'd been and lived near a couple of different um, air bases in uh, with military bases in Texas. So I understood and thought this one was exciting because it was a space base with rocket launches. And my husband's a physicist, so he was really excited by launches in our backyard. Um, and I continued to commute and work at a job um, in Santa Barbara, both for a for-profit company and then a couple of nonprofits. And in the process, discovered that it's really hard to have a career in um, Santa Barbara because you have a university there and a regular supply of young, new energetics. So I decided to start my own business. So Lompoc, once again, provided me that opportunity to start my own business. It was uh, professional organizing and event planning. Um, I have a knack for it. And it got off the ground within six months, which is a rarity in, in the business world. And it's also what allowed me to have more time in my community and discover um, it. And along the way, start asking questions about it and then wanting a, you know, to work on those issues and use some of my passion about the community that I now um, called home. Um, got rid of my homesickness for for Texas. Um, was an amazing community and maybe undervalued by those that you know, were born here and maybe didn't see the value in it anymore um, or were frustrated because, as you said, many had moved uh, north and felt pushed up here. And instead of feeling grateful of being able to stay in Santa Barbara County, might be frustrated by it. And here I was feeling like this is an amazing place. I, I'm thrilled that I could buy a house. I'm thrilled that I can go and do things. And what can I give back to a community that I now call home? And so it led to my volunteer work and being asked to run. It wasn't something of I'm going to run for office to solve these problems. I really thought my work on the Economic Development Committee, on a couple of other nonprofits that I volunteered for that support the library and support other issues in the community really were um, the place for me to be. I, I um, really believe in grassroots um, nonprofit work and wanted to be a part of the solution there. And the number of times I stood before council and made suggestions on behalf of the Economic Development Committee or one of the other nonprofits about ways the city could invest or support led to a lot of people reaching out to me and asking me to run. And that was really what motivated me. And so a similar thing has happened with Board of Supervisors. I had enough individuals seeing me um, at SBCAG. Um, seeing my leadership across Econ Alliance and other organizations saying, you know, we'd really like to see um, your leadership style and your um, investment and time that you dedicate to these positions taken to the next level. And I had considered it and had just been putting it off because of the work needed in, in Lompoc and wanted wanted to do it from a place of proven um, projects, proven deliverables rather than you know, just moving on because I was frustrated. So we've had some amazing results in Lompoc. We've stabilized the economy. We're making investments in the community. We're gaining grants and 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 donations at a level that we haven't seen in a long time. And many of the problems we're facing are coming from the county level down. And I just want to change the conversation there. To your point about well-spoken, um, yeah, I have to admit, I kind of have a cheat. I started speaking competitively at the age of 15 in a high school speech competition. It hones your skills really well. There was also a debate program. So um, doing research, understanding um, both sides 
being well able to articulate either of them um, it, were, were part of lessons that I retained and still put to use today. I work really hard to understand what I'm speaking to and work to not misspeak and then take ownership if I do. If I misstate a stat or someone tells me I'm wrong and has the data, I'm very comfortable owning that and saying, you know, you're right. Let me take a step back. I transpose that number. Or, you know, I didn't know that. Thanks for that additional information because now it it makes um, it makes my decision more balanced by having that information. So a lot of lessons learned through um, a lot of different avenues. And I never knew that speech competitions at the age of 15 would lead to uh, being able to do these interviews. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it shows. And I interview a lot of elected officials, you know, and so, yeah, I appreciate the clarity of your communication for sure. Um, I'm going to give you the last word again. So I'll give you a second to think about it, but just uh, talking to the audience, please, uh, like this podcast, uh, please hit subscribe and uh, tell a friend about it because um, this is the place to be when we're talking about talking to all the movers and shakers and everyone in the community who's making a difference and making an impact. And I'm at thousand and plus subscribers now and just want to keep growing that number. And it's because of guests like you, Janelle. So thank you. Um, last word, right? I just want to give it to you. Because I cover this stuff, I know when the party knocks on doors, when they do phone calls, uh, when they do that, you know, interaction, they're going to hit home, you know, that Joan Hartman is the Democrat, Joan Hartman is a Democrat, and they're going to, and, and I don't speak for them, so, you know, but possibly they might say that Janelle's like the quiet Republican choice. In fact, that's not even saying anything, because Darcelle Elliott told me in a Newshawk story that... The, no one's the Republicans aren't super excited about Frank Troy, so they found another candidate, which is you know she's implying is you, or she said was you. So um, just maybe you know in your last thoughts, closing, just you know why should somebody vote for you? You know if they're thinking like, oh, is she really a Republican? You know, is can she really be you know this or that? Just kind of just send us off with uh, why you in your mind would be the best choice for this district. Well, thank you, Josh, for this opportunity. And I think you're going to expand your followers into Mid-County and North County with um, uh, this work. But I would say that I'm thoughtful, independent leadership. It's time that we had a voice that really isn't party politics. And that's why I'm your choice. I wasn't asked by the Republicans to run. They obviously have their candidate. Um, there are areas I'm a conservative in. I'm really careful with finances and our budget. You can take a look at the city of Lompoc and how we've turned it around and how thoughtful we were with the ARPA dollars and with the additional um, appropriations that we asked for and have gotten. Um, I'm socially a liberal. I believe in supporting uh, those in need and supporting those that are doing that work and how do we fund that. And a lot of that work is done with the county budget. So I want to make sure and hold it accountable that we're investing where we need to to help with those um, socially progressive issues. So again, I, I know that there will be a lot of things said about me. Um, if you're curious, call me, email me, I will tell you about myself and give you my actual stand on those issues rather than um, you taking it at second hand from someone else. All right. Well, Janelle Osborne, I appreciate your time. What'd you say your middle name was? Was it Troublemaker? <laughs> Troublemaker with a capital T. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot for your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again very soon, um, you know, uh, in, for, regarding the, the third district contest. So have a great day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.